Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hello, welcome to Punching Out. I am Abby, and Alf, we have Alfred here. Hello. And Bobak. Hi. And we're talking about work. And uh, you'll recall that the last time uh, we three were, were talking on the radio for this program, we focused on novels about work, and we previewed that we'd be talking about films about work um, the next time we're on, and that's what we're doing today. We're, we're kind of moving chronologically, I guess, in history in the sense that novels and then, you know, films are the sort of the next cult- mass cultural method mm-hmm. for portraying and, and showing work life. And, and so we're going to do that. Next um, one is Netflix. Ne- <laughs> Netflix will find <laughs> eventually. Right. Well, streaming services will be our <laughs> yeah, last right. one. Yeah, exactly. um, but two out of three of us are not technically film scholars. Uh, one of us has been published on film so i i wouldn't call myself a film scholar yes i know you but you but but so we have yes we have we do have some bit of the three of us together might construe one expert (laughs) also we are not film reviewers so this isn't like this isn't going to be a show about film reviews and we're not gonna i mean we might refer to some sure um and it's also just not at all a survey of work in films oh Oh, yes we would never be able to cover Yeah. yeah right and in fact when we were discussing it i mean of course one of the things i thought would be important to say is that we are not um, we're not going to focus on those really obvious films like Metawan or Milagro Beanfield War or Norma Ray or these ones that are that are powerful political statements about labor right um, we're going to be looking more at sort of the way work is portrayed when work is not the deliberate necessarily like, you know the focus right, right. so so we're going to do that work All, in everyday life and sort of yeah um, yeah within context exactly. exactly and one last thing um there will be uh so we're giving a spoiler alert yeah now most of the films we'll talk about are not that new so if um, if you're worried about a spoiler for a film from 1936, that's your problem. Um, <laughs> if you haven't seen a 50s... No blame 60- or judgment here, of no, course. A, but a little bit. A little <laughs> bit. You've had plenty of time to look at some of these movies. Yeah. Um, how do we want to start this? I think when we talked about doing this originally, we started, she said, oh, let's look at work in the novel. And then we said, oh, but then film. And we started. Right, um, but right. the, it's the, the idea of it as being a mass... As, as hitting a mass audience, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. film was a way of doing that. And without going into a massive amount of film history, we should just sort of say that movies, you know, while they provide entertainment, a lot of what movies did for people shifted depending on what was going on historically. So, like, during the Depression, films served a type of purpose that they right. hadn't served before. Right. Um, right. And so I think that's... So maybe I feel like that's a good place to start because, sure. you know, it's... The depression really got people to the movies, yeah, to a yeah, degree that it hadn't yeah. before, and, and in an escapism kind of way, right. yeah. that, for that period, yeah. yeah. Um, and then they the the other thing about those films is that you know sometimes those films are sort of supposed to be uplifting. You know, there's I mean to me the the classic is the rags to riches trope, yeah, right. and and you know that that happens a lot. But I think I would like to start with bringing up a film that that we've uh, sort of that come up on our radar earlier. Um, the Charlie Chaplin's 1936 film, mm-hmm. Modern Times. Right. Yeah. So, Bobak, do you want to tell us about Modern Times? I can. I'm not sure how we want to. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think um, the other thing I would add to what you've said is a distinction between Hollywood and and non Hollywood films, mm-hmm. and this is yeah. sort of the um, the heyday of Hollywood films. And um, given that it's it's between the period of uh, the the rise of silent film on the one hand, and then the uh, Red Scare and McCarthy era on the other, it it falls into that period where uh, certain experiments were still available, and the kind of self censorship that you saw later in cinema wasn't um, there as much. And what what fascinates me about that film is it's such a sort of textbook example of the, you know, the Marxist notion of alienated labor. I mm-hmm. mean, it's sort of like, mm-hmm. 
you know, you look up the dictionary definition, alienated labor, and there's a still <laughs> from, <laughs> yeah. and there's, I, in fact, I showed a, a still from it in my uh, communication class the other day because we were, we were talking about um, how communication creates uh, the world. It doesn't just represent it, that when we communicate, we kind of create the cultural landscape around us. So I thought I'd tell them about, tell my students about um, cultural studies and critical theory and what informed that was Marxism. And, and so one of the most amazing scenes in that for me is when, not so much when he's on the conveyor belt and everything's moving really fast and he can't keep up, mm. but when he takes his lunch break and he, even that is mechanized yeah. and autom automated so that it's not just his labor that's alienated, mm -hmm. even his leisure is alienated. And I think, you know, I tried to bring that home to my students. I don't know with what level of success, but trying to say that, you know, when all kinds of work we do and, and even our play is kind of dictated by those right. rules and regulations, uh, how alienating it can be. So it's fascinating that, that he was able to do that in that period. Yeah. Okay, so I have to admit that I haven't yeah. seen it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. Well, we Sorry, won't tell you what happened okay. I'm that no. person. Yeah. No, it's but could you just I haven't talk either. about it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I saw it. I, I have to say, I probably saw it in a theater. It was 30 years ago, give or take, uh, right. in a Theater 80, St. Mark's in New York City. Um, that's the first time I saw it, and ever since then, I think I've caught pieces of it. Right. Um, so I, I have seen it one in probably a quarter times. Okay. <laughs> well, maybe, I, I mean, I'd like to introduce something even with that that maybe can segue into another film um, that even, um, and the distinction I made earlier between Hollywood mm -hmm. and, and on the one hand and uh, let's say European cinema or Iranian cinema on the other, but also independent cinema is that um, even even when Hollywood takes on something like work and labor, yeah. it still brings us back to the sacred individual yeah. and the the American dream. And so, when workers are represented, it's simply s to show that they can get out of the situation mm -hmm. they're in, maybe even through climbing the corporate ladder. Or whatever. So it's, it, you know, it on the surface it seems like oh yeah, this is a labor focused yeah. film, yeah. but it's really about the American well, dream. I ultimately. think it's it to me that sticks out in the film always is the end, because it's kind of ambiguous. I mean, part of right. the film is it's not just that he's alienated, it's not just those things, but it's that he's resilient. Like all of the situations yeah. that happen, getting going to jail and these things, he, he keeps coming back, and he keep and he's in a way he's sort of not destroyed by work right, right which is a weird thing to me because it's a high, it's, it seems like yeah. a very political film to me like a yeah, very strong oh, statement mm -hmm. and yet at the end the him and his girlfriend i don't know if they i can't remember if they got married they <laughs> they they basically walk away and it's like well sort of like we don't know what the future holds right. and how are they how did they get to the point where they walk away Oh God! There's so many. There's so I, like many. Is there some sort of success or just he, yeah, through, yeah, through yeah. various circumstances? He winds up getting arrested. They, they I think they, they thought he was a, a labor agitator, right. and it's like one of those things where he just accidentally falls gotcha. into circumstances okay. and right. something. And there's a scene. So he at the end, I remember he waited tables. Yeah. And it was, a, of course, Charlie Chaplin waiting yeah. tables and it's a mess and things are everywhere. And But he also, cocaine is in the film. He, oh, he, yeah, yeah, he yeah, sniffs yeah, cocaine. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember what the circumstances were, but he gets, oh and he's, he gets yeah, frantic yeah, over yeah, it. And of yeah. course, it's comical because right. it's the 30s, yeah. and, you know, right. it's, and it's Hollywood and stuff. Right. But, right. you know, so I, I find that one, that film sticks out to me because it isn't really a rags to riches story. It's more like staying in rags. Yes. It's more right. like you'll be in rags. Don't, don't worry, you'll keep right. being in rags. Right. And These are I, just the things you'll get up to while you're in yeah. there. Yeah. Well, yes. the period when that was uh, either still romantic or still held some kind of, um, you know, uh, some some personal yeah. power and, and identity. Mm. Well, I don't know. And, and also, I mean, we know this from some of the silent films that they do push an agenda of the hegemony in some way. Like they are, I mean, sure. we could talk about birth of the Na birth of a nation right, and stuff right, like that. Right. But yeah. it, it, I think it changed from that once it shifted out of entertainment it really started to become a tool for rhetoric and propaganda, that it yeah, became absolutely. a way of reinforcing yeah. something. And so a film that I that comes a little later to me is like an extension of the rags to riches thing, but turned into a sort of, a, a I don't know, a neoliberal fantasy, which was uh -huh. Citizen Kane. Oh, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Which is 1941. Um, it's, it's rags, to, it's, but it's rags to riches. It's not rags right. to rags. That's right. right. Um, and it's a deep movie, and it's it's long and complex but I mean it, 
it still go, it focuses on the individual. The whole thing is about yeah. this person. Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah. and in fact, his it, it's almost he's alienated. I mean, yeah. that's the whole movie, right? Yeah. I know. Abby, did you see Citizen Kane? I did. Okay. <laughs> I did see that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, not, it's a long movie. Um, it, yeah. was, it wasn't yeah. one of my favorites to watch, and I definitely think it's, I'm going to be blasphemous, I think it's slightly overrated. <laughs> I love Orson Welles, yeah. particularly yeah. for F for Fake, which is my, one of my favorite films of all time. Oh, I haven't is, seen that. Uh, yeah, oh, oh, my God. Well, we're going to be listing <laughs> a lot of these movies here. Um, I hope some of the people who are listening, all three of you, have seen at least one of these films. <laughs> well, um, so... Yeah. I have an example of uh, the. It's a Japanese film, so from Kurosawa, the Japanese director, and Ichiro. And th- have you ever have either of you seen that? No, one? Seen that one, no. And so this one is sort of. This is in the fifties, and it's sort of this guy who's going to work in the bureaucracy, and just like none of his stuff matters at all. It, like this, the classic. Can you get some this paper signed? Well, I have to go talk to that person oh, to get it yeah. signed, and then that person has to go to that person, and oh, wow. like it doesn't matter. But he still has to go to work, and eventually, at some point in the film, he finds out that he's that he's just fatally ill, and um, so he is he has this sort of like identity crisis, sort of or like existential crisis yeah. type thing. What am I doing? And um, there's this young woman at his office who has just this love of life and, and mm-hmm. she works in like the playgrounds department or like recreation department or something. <laughs> and she's like, it's because I'm with children. Like I'm oh, doing work man. that's related to children. And so it, eventually the guy says like, I need to do that. I need to reconnect. And he builds this playground. Mm-hmm. Um, and he kind of tries to teach like once or he dies. And then once he's gone, they understand that wow. this whole story happened. And so the people who are left behind promise themselves we're going to be different. Oh, that's and right. That's wow. great. But wow. they, they can't. They can't, uh-huh. they can't be different. Oh, so man. they like the playground that he's built just <laughs> ends up getting forgotten yes. because oh. they're just like doing exactly what he did that, before. That, wow. We are yeah. going to talk about that. There's another film I want to talk about later mm-hmm. that I, I didn't know that. That's a great film. And now I want to see that film. But yeah. That, that, that same thing happens as a sort of an expectation of something growing from this, and and right, yet right. no, it, yeah. it yeah, to, to to borrow a trope from horror films, it sounds like the calls are coming from inside the house. <laughs> 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 right. Well, uh, you know, I want to go back to the rags, the riches, but not the okay. rags part, the riches mm-hmm. part. Oh, yeah, okay. <clears throat> because I think, and I've noticed this in older films. So, people in the '30s and '40s films were were willing to make fun of the rich. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. yet, they made wealth seem desirable all the same. Like, you were envious, but, but it was like a, a schlub who's rich, right, or right. some jerk who got lucky and is rich, right. and, you're, and they portray their lives as being pretty opulent and, right. you know, and whatever. Right. Whereas, I think in modern films, they portray rich people a little bit more favorably, but more with more complexity. Like, right. it's stressful mm-hmm. to be rich, whereas in the 30s, you know, Daddy well, Warbucks is being served by yeah, people yeah. all day. I, and, you know. I mean, it sounds like it's, uh, to me, because the box office has to reach such a wide swath of, of the populace that you have to appeal to people who both feel that sort of working class identity and those who... Pay for are, it. Yeah, right. Producers. Exactly. So, I mean, I think a lot of those Hollywood films and, and of that period of the heyday of Hollywood, I, I'm thinking of um, Singing in the Rain, Yeah, mm-hmm. which... Hollywood kind of turned its gaze on itself. So Hollywood right. as both workers in in Hollywood, in Hollywood and as True. you know people who want to achieve that dream and you know there's this sort of second-rate writer who wants to make it big, right. this um, waitress who wants to be an actress and and you know that yeah. kind of there's a working class sensibility to that and yet again it's the American dream being sold yeah. to everybody. Well, yeah. you, you brought that's an interesting point because work yeah. the films are an industry. Like when we talk yeah. about publishing, we know publishing is an industry, but you have a writer and you may have an editor or two and the production of the book. Right. But for the most part, it's still a singular endeavor. Whereas a film takes a lot of people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Even right. a small film takes a lot yeah. of people, and they learn yeah. that early on, even in the silent era. Once they once they started to you know like the 
when they're cranking these films, watching people walking out of a factory in oh, Paris. Oh, the Lumiere. The Lumiere, Lumiere yeah. films. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it, I mean, it's still, they had to wait for the lighting to be correct. But That's once right. they started making deliberate studio films, right. suddenly there's a lot of people involved. So Yeah, yeah those days, were, it was like, well, this is a tangent, yeah. but it was, it, was, um, it was like a traveling show. It was almost like a circus. You, yeah. you bring the equipment, you, you shoot Big the equipment. film, you make the film, yeah. you show the film. It was all... You know, one thing, and then it it became sort of separated into this sort of industrial. But notice something context. else about it. It it became an industry where people became inordinately wealthy themselves right. quickly. Right. I mean, the studio heads became instantly rich right, right. once they once right. films broke out of that that sort of vaudevillian type of thing. It became a big machine. Yeah. yeah. The, there's a there's a great book on that called um, An Empire of Their Own, I think it's called, and uh, I forget the author, but it's basically about how um, Jewish immigrants made that industry. Uh, yeah. You know, the Myers, the the, the early period, uh, the, yeah. similar to. Um, the, the garment industry and so anyway That's yeah but we we haven't moved far from that unfortunately but okay. i will yeah i mean yeah speaking of looking at the film industry as an industry i think these days of course with the harvey weinstein stuff and everything yeah, like that that has been kind of fascinating because even preparing for this episode looking at film possible films and it's like oh that's a Weinstein film, like, oh, yeah. like yeah. a lot of films, yeah. you know, like right. a lot of them. Or the now with the newer Times Up stuff, where you realize like a movie might be talking about the exact problem that it's oh actually per per perpetuating oh, behind yeah. the scenes, and it's yeah. just it's, well, yeah. it's stunning. There's well, all right, yeah. there's scandal. So I have to admit, I, one of my favorite books is actually Hollywood Babylon by Kenneth Anger. Um, and Hollywood Babylon too, which was actually my favorite of them. And he lived in my just as a side note, he yeah. lived in my neighborhood uh -huh. when I was growing up. And my mom, my mom got an autographed copy of Hollywood Babylon too. It was like 1980 something, it was the Reagan right. era, and he was right. he was a weird occultist avant-garde. Wow. But, but it talks about a lot of those kind of scandals. Yeah, not different. I I did go back and try to watch um, Nine to Five, and I, oh. I I watched most of it. And it's um, it, you know, given the uh, the sexual harassment and assault uh, uh, scandals uh, going on now, seeing who was the boss's name, Dab Mr. Hart. Yeah, Mr. Hart, Dabney Coleman. Dabney Coleman. Uh, you know, the just what's shocking is that the things we're hearing are not that different from yeah. 1980 uh, or when this was made, well, or 19, you know, well, let's talk about 60 the, or the, whatever. The yeah. Hollywood casting couch was not, a new thing. Right. Harvey Weinstein's not the first person yeah, to do point. that by good any stretch. Louis right. Mayer was a nightmare. Sure. So right. even those early studios, and they, they were so much more, because um, Hollywood, you know, Hollywood wasn't Hollywood in 1850. Hollywood became something because of that. It really became right. a, a thing. And so right. that industry owned the town, essentially, right. and everybody was right. silent about a lot of things. Right. Yeah, yeah. Fatty Arbuckle, another scandal. With, oh, with, anyway, yeah. lots of that. So, um, But let's, it also let's, just, it's, sorry, but behind the scenes, like so much of the rags to riches stories happening, kind of playing out in real life to a certain extent and in is, Hollywood, and which it's is just yeah. right. like well, working class people getting there, yeah. meeting that's people. How they, through, yeah, that's, right. how the, that's all those scandals in the early days of Hollywood where there was the young starlet exactly. who was coming from, you know, like, you know, Cornhusk, Indiana, who's yeah. trying to make it big, yeah. and there it is. Yeah. Louis right. Mayer is ready to give you a, you know, three-picture deal. But, you know, you have to do that. All right, well, all right, let's take our first break, and we will be back in a moment. This is Punching Out, a project of the Punching Out Collective, and we want to hear about the struggles you face as a worker. You can tell us your stories by sending an email to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook, and we're on Twitter, at punchingoutwayo. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Okay, we're back. Um, we started talking about one film that's kind of popped out of uh, in our conversation, um, which was Nine to Five, the yeah. 1983 film that starred Dolly Parton, Lily Tomlin, Jane Fonda, Jane Fonda. and Dabney Coleman. Dabney, <laughs> Dabney Coleman, that's right. who in other films also played a very machismo kind of right. guy. Right. Um, right. So what about the plot of this? What do you think? Well, the, you know, the, the plot is uh, Jane Fonda has just gotten divorced. Um, she's looking for Her work. husband had an affair with his secretary. Exactly. <laughs> And uh, she shows up at this firm called Consolidated, I think, yeah. of all things. Yeah. Uh, I think it's Peter Hart is the is the Dabney Coleman character, um, and um, 
the rumor is that he is having an affair with I forget Dolly the character's Parton. name, but it's Dolly Parton mm-hmm. is playing okay. the, that role. Mrs. And Rhodes, Doralee Rhodes, Doralee, <laughs> you've got it all. There you go. <laughs> and Lily Tomlin um, really runs the whole place. Yeah. In mm-hmm. fact, she trained Hart when he came in, and then he, you know, basically got the position that she yeah. was heading towards. Uh, early in the film, he gives a promotion that she's expecting to a man and says, you know, people don't aren't yeah. ready for a woman in this position. Yeah. Um, and at one point, um, the three three women characters fall together because um, it comes out that Dabney yeah. Coleman has been saying he's having an affair with with Doralee, even though he's not, and she uh-huh. gets mad. He's so. married. He's married. By the way, one correction, right. it's a 1985 film. Um, yeah, he's married. So the, the three of them are, are talking. I guess they were at, having drinks or something. And well, that's what's so hilarious. They, 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 yeah. they start at a bar. They're having drinks. And then they, they go home, and Lily Tomlin's son has rolled her a joint. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So they get super stinking stoned. <laughs> and um, first they're laughing their butts off, and then each of them fantasizes how to do away and those with are the boss. Those are funny. How to oh kill gosh. the boss. And each one quotes a different kind of film. So Lily Tomlin's is she's she's sort of like this um, Snow White character. <laughs> and all these animated animals yeah. come <laughs> and yeah. sing with her and she puts poison. rat poison. Yeah. <laughs> and the rat poison so, the birds are tweeting as she's pouring the dainty little spoon of rat poison into it. I think what what viscerally got to me w- were the scenes in which uh, Dabney Coleman comes on to Dolly Parton. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And given all the news we've heard this past year, it, it was oddly frightening to watch a comedy about yeah. that. Yeah. That then, I guess this, the, the payoff is, you know, those fantasies of killing this guy. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, the fantasies were ki- they, the fantasies were killing him. Not like they were. Right. They were. I mean, they were comic, but they were. Yeah. There they was were, a dark intention right. in that. Which, right. well, so the, to, the spoiler part. Yeah, right? sure. So, That's okay. <laughs> so they they talked about their dreams to each other, and he finds out that they had been, I guess, thinking about trying to kill him. I right. Think. And yeah. And so at that point, they're worried now because he's going to get them. He's going to fire them. He's going to. He's right. basically. Um. He's threatening them. Oh, I know what it is. He's threatening them with blackmail. He but knows they, it, and right. They they have dirt on him, so yeah. anyway. Well, I mean, they wind up kidnapping. Yeah. Him. Oh. Yes. Yeah. Well, that was the part that I thought was that was where it got it. It didn't go far enough to me because they kidnapped him. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. Anyway, Dabney oh, Coleman gets you know there's yeah. a comeuppance, but yeah. while but while yeah. he's kidnapped, here's the thing that I remember: while he's kidnapped, um, Lily Tomlin, basically they the, they run the company. And yeah. they do really well. That's right. So it makes okay, it so that he, they can, yeah. he can't really do anything yeah. about that because they did so well. Again, so. it's sort of getting the American dream in the back right. door anyway. A lot of there's so many <laughs> films. I mean, well, if we were to just look at films for the those those um, portrayals of women in workplaces, especially most often I think in offices when they're the yeah. secretary. Right. How much of the, I mean it is it's it's so impossible to um, imagine I don't know uh, any uh, anything like that today, because and yet how come it ha- how come a film could be made in 1985 about this and right. as a comedy yeah. and that's not that long ago and nothing like right, people right, watched right, it right. and laughed yeah and they laughed nervously I'm fairly certain and I think every woman I've talked to who's worked as a secretary in the 70s or mm-hmm. 60s or 80s oh man that's the stories they have yeah. it's right. not even unusual to them right right. Um, so well, and yeah, so that was obviously coming from something, right? Like it shouldn't be surprising <laughs> that these are there are all these experiences. It was really in real a documentary. Life. It was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, right? it's, but it's really it's it's strange because it seemed like I I remember when it came out, I was like, eh, I don't want to see that. It looks like a like a sort of pop film and like, yeah. you know whatever, and and yet it was really well written, yeah, and so and, too, and yeah. dark in certain right. spots. So, um, but, so it's, that's interesting. <laughs> it like really critiques certain power structures, yet at the same time, like. Look, when they're bosses, it's awesome. Yeah, the Climbing boss, the car- corporate ladder. But the, yeah, boss is, yeah. the boss is, you don't feel sorry for him or you don't feel anything, but right. you do think he's pathetic. Yeah. And right. I feel like he gets off easy because of that. Right. Like he didn't come yeah. off as, as bad. He came off right. as just, just pathetic. And he's, a, he, yeah. uh, there's another film he's like that too. And I can't remember what it is. And he plays a, he literally plays an author, like who's a macho author guy who's a total. I, it's funny when I was yeah. watching it, I kept remembering that film. Yeah. And I couldn't remember the title. It's cut, I feel That's like probably. Dan, uh, Chevy Chase was in Someone's it. Nell Carter was in it. Uh, it's like, 
I don't know what it's yeah. some, it, but he plays an author who's like, you know, I'm a goddamn good looking man. You know, <laughs> like his whole, yeah. His but that's <laughs> interesting. So like the idea of the, the boss being someone who holds power, but also is just a, like a pathetic figure. Right. I like that portrayal. Yeah. I think that's apt. But so like, <laughs> I, this might be jumping up, jumping ahead a little bit, but it, the office space. Yes. Oh, yeah. Right? Isn't that the exact same sort of thing? It, I, if I'm remembering correctly, yeah. the boss there is kind of oh, just like a. He's he's a, he's an idiot, and yeah. and in, yeah. and in the in the juiciest kind of way, he's an idiot because he he's successful, but he's a complete idiot. Right. But his co everyone knows it too. That's exactly. Right. But he's still the boss. He's still the boss. Yeah. yeah. Well, th- I mean, that's a, that is an, an uh, on its own that trope of like the stupid boss who's still yeah. the boss. Right. Yeah. Um, is is universal. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's yeah. so interesting. That really is a trope, right? It is an office space. I mean, you've seen Office Space, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't know who hasn't seen Office Space <laughs> yeah. at this point. I right. have right. even seen it's Office. A, <laughs> 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 it's its own. It's the entire movie is one meme. It's every scene <laughs> can oh, be spliced so and yeah. put into yeah. something else. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I love it. Well, you know what it is? It's Bartleby. I mean, oh, essentially, it's Bart- it we're going to be a nice callback. Yeah. It's going back yeah, to our, right. first, there you our go. previous episode. There you go. Yeah. Because it is basically, it's it's one of the few films that of the ones that we, you know, yeah. were thinking of talking about that really just says, don't work. Yeah. Why, why work at all? Right. I yeah. lo- you know, it's like, I'd love that. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's <laughs> Barbie. Well, and I, I like in Office Space, too, it's not just in the office because there's that restaurant that they go to. Yeah. Oh. Right? And like where they have that, like, that like button thing. Oh, yes. yes. Wait. Oh, what a great segue. Go ahead. Right? Oh, okay. Well, like where part of your job is you're supposed to genuinely love flare. the place that you... Yeah, yeah. show oh, flair. flair. Right, That's right, right. right. I have worked in places with flair <laughs> as a waiter. Now, which leads me to what okay. I think is the most... It's the funniest film, I think, about working, but it's only funny if you've worked in that industry. And the movie is Waiting, the 2005 film. Oh, I haven't seen from that. Yeah, with Ryan either. Reynolds. Oh my God. Okay, Let the the you know uh, trigger warning. I guess it's it's offensive in a number of ways. It's a relatively diverse cast for a restaurant movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, but as exaggerated as it is. Every single character in that film yeah. is a somebody you've worked with in a restaurant. So painfully, so, and of course it's flair. The right. manager is, uh, you know, the manager always looks the same in a restaurant. He's sort of balding. He's about forty something. <laughs> he wears a tie. He's <laughs> probably divorced, and oh, he hits man. on the waitresses. Oh, so there's man. that, and they don't so like again, him. So again, there's yeah. this theme that it's, we really well. Yeah. The, what's offensive most about the movie is actually Ryan Reynolds. Mm-hmm. He's, I mean, essentially he's a sexual predator. It's oh just God. he's so, but he's Ryan Reynolds, you know. Right. He does his right, shtick, right. and he's like he right. makes one-liners and he witty zingers. And, and he's is that. he the protagonist? Of he's it? one yeah. of the okay. uh, Justin Long is the other. Okay. Prota- okay. Justin Long is the only character with any kind of like, f- like Justin Long is a character who's trying to go to college and he wants to get do better, but he's struggling with uh-huh. it. But Ryan Reynolds uh-huh. is like his best friend, who's just he just hits on he literally hits on women. He's like, how old are you? And then okay. it's like, and the, one of the hostesses is like seventeen, and she's turning right, eighteen right. in a few days. And he's just like, it's that um, kind of. Aren't a lot of work uh, films um, kind of coming of age narratives too? Because I, I was uh. thinking of um, Breaking Away. <clears throat> yeah, uh, yeah. You know, I mean, that's a classic. People the, don't the, know about that anymore. The bike, that much. the bicycle. Yeah. So film? there's this kid who like imagines he's an Italian bicyclist, yeah. even though he's like in an Irish American family yeah, in Cleveland yeah. or something. I forget where it is. It's are. somewhere in, it's not in Cleveland. Rust Belt or something. Because it is it, the the main sort of work related thing are cutters who uh, in oh. in the rock quarry quarries. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. So it really is like this working class context. But if if you if you even if you look at the trailer, the trailer is like a coming of age narrative. <laughs> that moment between being in high school and getting a job, yeah, exactly. where oh, you just want right. to break away. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's footloose. It's it's that 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 critical juncture between high school and yeah. the next part yeah. of your life, where yeah. apparently that that's it. You, coming you of age. Away. You're right. coming of age. Yeah. yeah. Coming of age means getting a job. We know. Exactly. And I'm in human development, and that's it makes me cringe. But that's what films think right. coming coming of age is, or or losing your virginity. One yeah. of those two. Now, <laughs> right. back in the quaint old days, that was like something that happened at the time you were ending high school and going to. Nowadays, that's out the window. Like right. you, you right. will lose your virginity long before you have your first real job yeah, at this right, point right. in time. <laughs> I think yeah. so. Um, what about so, Bobak? When we were talking about films and trying to sort of plan for this, you had mentioned Working Girl. Yes, but I did not review it. And I <laughs> barely remember it. I'm just. Um, it's the Melanie Griffin one, right? I, I'm I'm a big 
uh, Joan, Joan Cusack. Cusack film. So yeah. I, you know, <laughs> I don't remember that. But that, was that was that also a workplace film? Was it, it like, was it was much more sort of climbing the corporate ladder, secret thing. of my success, and, yeah, or whatever. So I'm those. sorry, I didn't do my homework on that one. Right. What was the? I'm trying to remember the title of the um, that Anne Hathaway and Meryl Streep one. The Devil Wears Prada. Oh, the Devil yeah. Wears Prada, right? Oh, That's I kind of the. How did I know that? I didn't even see so? that film. I just I, <laughs> I've seen it a couple of times. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Well, and it's like to in order to it's in maybe like a coming of age one, sort of yeah. like that yeah. too. Where, yeah. You know, she's young. She gets this job as an assistant, and it's like you either choose work or you choose your life. I know, it's, right? Yeah, right. but you know, I, I don't. I, I in the real world, I don't think that that happens that often. Like you're yeah. you're if you're willing to do that assistant job and work that hard, right. you're already the jerk. Like if you're that yeah. willing to give up on yourself just for that single-minded oh, right, purpose, right. you're already no wonder yeah. no wonder Meryl Streep takes you under her wing because you're already a jerk. Like you're right. not, yeah. you know, nobody's nobody's right. getting. There yeah. are no films about people who find the radical person who hates work who just gets by and uses them as the model. Like yeah. I want to be like you. You're <laughs> only, sabotaging the only corporation. Office space. Yeah, only <laughs> office space is the only place. That's Actually, right. Actually, in that's waiting, right. that's also another thing. But again, oh, I, waiting is very funny and it's got great performances by strange people. Luis Guzman is in it. He's very oh, funny. God, he's Andy Milanakis, I don't even know if you know him. He's really know. funny. He used to have a show on MTV. And um, Okay, so, you know, we, we've, I know we're focusing on a lot of American films and American dreams, but not American films aren't the only ones where they have, I mean, we talked about the, the Kurosawa yeah, film, yeah, but yeah. Yeah. there are some other ones that there are films that really speak to yeah the the non-American experience. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the two thousand five film from Jafar Panahi, um, Crimson Gold. Uh, what I what I really love about that film is if you're not familiar with Tehran, which probably most of you listening <laughs> are, um, yeah. it it really gives you uh, a good geographic sense of that city because the the city is kind of oriented north to south where the northern neighborhood is is very wealthy um the houses are are you know well designed etc and the southern part of the city is the working class neighborhood um and this film focuses on uh, a young man who delivers pizzas and so that's another way you get to see the city is is on his deliveries and in, in a number of these deliveries, he ends up in, you know, these mansions and, and, mm. and contrasts his apartment with, with these. And the film starts out, actually, with him in a jewelry store, and he's about to rob it. And the film comes back to that later. And in between, we, we see him interacting with, with his fiance for whom he is robbing the jewelry store. Is she, is she from working class family? Yes, yeah. So why does he think he has to get her a fancy... You know, I, he just feels like it's important. I forget the details. I yeah. don't know if it's even huh. it, if the film even goes into those details. Huh. It just says he, he this, it's important. Yeah. And he, one of his friends is a pickpocket, so there's <laughs> a sort of underground crime uh, yeah. element to it. But again, I think to get a sense of uh, of that city and to get a sense of you know um, the human desires and 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 conflicting desires and the contrast between uh, rich and poor in that con- in that context P- is really interesting pizza has a way of doing that okay. i was it just reminded me of another film <laughs> That's such a good do point. the right thing yeah. yeah you've seen do the right yes, thing I have. we've all yeah. seen that yeah. okay Mookie is a deli- pizza delivery right. man. He does, and and it isn't so much about the social class divide as it is the sort of the racial divide yeah. within right. what is ostensibly relatively similar social oh, classes. That's, that's exactly, true. Um, yeah. and and but he's a pizza delivery guy. Right. And he does his job, and he wants his pay. His regular pay. He just wants the and yeah. and, and right. you know I I mean if you haven't if you haven't seen Do the Right Thing, my God, yes, I, I, <laughs> um, go out right now, really. Yeah. But but again, that's one of those films that I think, like just like the film you were talking about, if you lived in Tehran, you probably understood poignantly yeah. that right. you know yeah. the north and south yeah, thing. If right. you lived in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. if you lived in in a lot of the neighborhoods in New York City, especially at that time, there is a there is a lot of a sort of cultural clash in parts of Harlem it's like this too where you have like a lot of Italians in Harlem my father was born in Harlem and and yet it was it was you were opening businesses where your customers were primarily African-American or vice versa depending on where you were and those tensions erupt in New York City often um small things large things suppose Spike Lee hits the nail on the head on it yeah but but in terms of work Mookie's a delivery, bo- delivery yeah, boy, and that's yeah, what he does. Exactly. And, yeah. Well, and also in Do the Right Thing, the sort of question of loyalty is interesting, right? Like, yeah. 
because that's his employer. His em- yeah. And so do you remain loyal to your employer right, or, right. and uh, do you have an obligation to do so? And like, no, yeah. yeah. But, and then what? he, drew, he yeah. drew the line and at yeah, the end, exactly. you know, like Danny Aiello is like angry because he didn't really get why did Mookie join the rioters exactly. and break right. his windows. Like right. he's the right, exactly. That makes total yeah. sense. Right. Mookie right. was working for you this whole time and there right. you were. And it's, it's interesting that the employer and employee, the, 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 Social distance between them is not as great as in other films. Yeah, right. right. There, it isn't like this person who makes d- yeah. twenty times as much exactly. as as the employer employee. But, but he feels. But Danny Aiello, he feels like he's entitled to some kind of respect in the community right. because he served the community for yes. so many years. Yeah. But yeah. yet, not getting the fact that that doesn't change the racial dynamic. Exactly. Yeah. You know, like yeah. selling pizzas to people of color is not changing race relations right, in that exactly. way, you know. Yeah. Um, so that was an that was a very powerful one. Yeah. Um, yeah. let's let's take a break and we'll come back in a moment. Sounds good. You're listening to Punching Out on WAYOLP Rochester, 104.3 FM. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Okay, so one film that I think is says a lot of really interesting things about work is Dogville, which um, I don't know. What, I can't remember what year it came out, but it's... Um, it was 2003. 2003, thank you. And it's Lars von Trier, oh, yeah. who is another I- person who potentially problematic oh, in the film industry right, which right. yeah <laughs> certainly yeah, yeah. Okay. um but so it stars nicole kidman and she is a few this takes place also in the 20s i think and she takes uh, she's a fugitive running away from something we're not really sure what okay. it's like the mob or something um and she is she f- finds herself in this tiny colorado town of 15 people wow. and it's an interesting movie because oh. it's set on a sort it's of a, a stage with, set. Like the houses are outlined in chalk exactly. kind of oh. on the ground and yeah. there's like a oh. chair in a house and that's the problem. I haven't seen it. Wow. And and so you and oh. it's like three hours long. So you start yeah. the movie and you're like, oh what have I gotten? <laughs> How into? am I gonna get through <laughs> this? <laughs> yeah. But it's actually worth it. So okay, um cool. but so she comes and at first the town is just really not willing to keep her there because who knows who this person is? Why do we we don't need anyone else? We have everything. We, us fifteen, we're happy as we are. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's this guy Tom who is sort of like a self-described philosopher and moralist, oh. and he's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and he says, no, this is really great for us. We want to do something good. Let's uh-huh. let her join us. Um, and they decide to let her stay on a, proba- a probationary period. Um, and but in order for her to stay, she needs to make herself useful. So she goes around the town trying to find work and somehow help. Oh, yeah. And oh. at f- in the very beginning, they, there's nothing that she can do. They're, everyone's like, "No, I'm fine. I take care of my huh. stuff on my own, and mm-hmm. I really don't need help." And then she starts saying, "Okay, but I can help in other ways." And so she sees, like, actually, you know, if I just sit with you and talk about the day, then I might be able to help you or watch your kids. Or so she finds work for herself. Uh-huh. Um, and eventually she makes herself useful enough that they decide we would love to have her stay here. Uh-huh. Um, and But then she starts, it becomes actual work. And uh-huh. so they decide that <laughs> it makes yeah. sense, it's fair for, her, for them to pay her. Yeah. Um, but then once they start paying her, then they start making more demands on her. Uh-huh. And like, actually, we want you to work double time throughout wow. the day. And, wow. because, and she also can't leave and she's there she's hiding out in the town and so it's this like contract type thing where it's like we'll let you stay here but now you have to do all of this work and so eventually she gets i mean she starts being like horribly abused um not only emotionally and physically she's like sexually abused by the different people that she's working for and she becomes this like slave in the town um and so it's just so interesting because they didn't need help at first Uh right like in the beginning they had no need for her Uh but once she found ways to help then it became Mm -hmm. like a necessity and then also then when the mechanism of paying came in then they started being able to exploit her and it just (laughs) like was this it's this incredible thing and then she because she can't leave she has to allow it to happen yeah it reminds me of um 
the ones who walk away from Omelas, um, the that Ursula K. Le Guin short story. Oh, I haven't read that. It's yeah. it's um, like the, the 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 it's a utopia, but this utopia's happiness relies on uh, the necessity to have this one child, this girl, locked up in a closet. Yeah. And, and <laughs> Enslaved. Well, it's yeah. like, it sounds so similar to that. Well, I've never, yeah. I haven't seen that film, but the, 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 the that holding women, primarily women, hostage, yeah, is 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 done in so many ways in films. Yeah. Um, oh, right. right. I mean, whether it's economic slavery, like we look right. at in, in certain films, but also, you know, like the immigrant. Yeah, yeah, and so in the immigrant, um, this is with Marianne Cotillard. Two thousand fifteen, I think. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, it's more recent. And so, right, she um, comes to the U.S. with her sister. uh, They get to Ellis Island, and it's, you know, something goes wrong. They're going to have to be sent back. She eventually is able to find a place to stay in New York through this, um, by doing sex work, basically. Mm, Um, And it's, again, the same sort of thing, like this exchange for you can stay here if you do this right. work. Um, and Security. The security, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so in both of these examples, it's like to work allows you to have security. Yeah. Um, but to, uh, to w- at what cost? Right, exactly. Um, yeah. And like back with Dogville too, you, you gain value in society by working, except at the same time you're... It's exploitation. Yeah. But then I was yeah. thinking of it. You just remind me of another film that that is uh, exploitive of sex workers, in particular, yeah. Pretty Woman. In yeah. which case, oh, the yeah. the end result is to right. become the, is the handsome rich guy, like right. the, the nice right. rich guy. Yeah. And that's yeah, what happens, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. That's, that's what. So that's true. how you win right. the game by not working. Yeah. Right. So there's no real. There's what's what's lacking in these films is actual agency. I know people like to think in Pretty Woman she had agency. She well she had agency. But where did she wind up? Right, you know, it's right, like right, she, right. it's like have, I have agency to win the lottery. Like right. yeah, 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 but you don't really right. have agency right. in that. Yeah, like you have agency <laughs> to do these things, but in a lar- in a much larger sense yeah. in society, like how much do we can we actually choose yeah. to work or to yeah. not work? What's, yeah. so, what's interesting yeah. to me about the immigrant is um, the the level to which the um, the pimp character um, is is given some redemption. At mm-hmm. the end, I yeah, think. yeah, yeah. Oh, you under- well, sorry, is, is that understand? was a bad uh, <laughs> uh, spoiler. Oh, because given some redemption, or or he's killed. Either way, yeah, we don't know. Could be either way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but mm-hmm. it just seemed like it was it, it it dealt with those questions in such a complex way. Yeah. So well, and this is just to put a quick plug out the the show <laughs> The Deuce. I don't yeah. know if you. Yeah. It's kind of a similar yeah. type thing where it actually does a good job of questioning sex work, but also like the pimp's j- job oh, okay. in doing that as a work mm. thing too. I, so, I, yeah. I haven't seen that. It's one. a hard thing. Films don't tackle that always so well. I mean, it's yeah. a hard. It's a hard subject to do because <clears throat> it's very difficult to film something like that without crossing over into exploitation Gr- gratuitous. for gratuitous yeah, exploitation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So when they do it well, it's an impressive yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, so talking about being able to have agency mm-hmm. over work, okay, yeah. I'm going to literally, and yeah. one of my favorite, I mean, my top 10 films ever in the world, 1969 Robert Downey film, Putney Swope. And huh. have you seen Putney Swope? You no. Know, you know. Okay. No. Uh, all right. Quick story is, so Putney Swope, it's an advertising agency, mm-hmm. hence we get agency. Yeah. All right. Yeah, right. It's an ad agency. It's a big, you know, Madison Avenue kind of, it's 1969, films in black and white. And, and I'm going to try to get through this part quickly, but it's, it's amazing. There's a, a board member, boardroom, and of course there's one African-American executive there. He's clearly there for, to, you know, for the fill their quota. Right. Putney Swope, mm-hmm. played by, um, I think his name is Arnold Jackson. Um, um, the, the CEO dies, and the, and the movie is surreal. It's it's uh, Robert. It's a very surreal film. Like it's yeah. it's hard to describe it as a very simple narrative. But nonetheless, he dies on the table, so they have to vote for a new new president, but they're not allowed to vote for themselves. Okay. So everybody winds up voting for Putney Swope because uh, they voted for the one guy they thought nobody would vote oh, for. Oh so my gosh! And so in once, I mean, literally in like five minutes, scene it's black and white. It's these guys at the table, and then suddenly Putney Swope gets the thing, and they and they're like, "No, don't do it, Swope. You don't want the job." And he wow. takes the job, and he said, "From now on, the name of this agency is Truth and Soul." Fishbones album, wow. Truth and Soul, <laughs> and it goes into this oh film is God. in color, and all of a sudden, it's he's replaced the executives with with African Americans, oh, like the whole amazing. film, wow. and it's and it's he won't he's like he's a 
he's kind of a badass in the yeah. film and right. he gets and companies want to they want to do business eventually with him and right. he's like I will not do tobacco guns wow. or like oh my god and he's and they're paying him in cash in a million dollar increments and he's I mean it's, it's, a, so it's but he's making commercials that are radical and and it's not overtly political I mean it actually toys with the idea of capitalism as being a way of sort of gaining okay, something and right. Putney becomes kind of an ass himself right but it's difficult to sort wow. of. It, it, it's not like he is it kind of like a counter black exploitation. It's really movie yeah, it is, and it's and it's extremely. That I mean, amazing. It's, it was just released on the Criterion Collection. Okay. It's a really good film. But the the one part of the film that I find it's sad in a way is that the main character Arnold um, Putney, the actor apparently had a lot of trouble with his lines mm -hmm. and could not remember them and didn't speak them very well. So Robert Downey, a white man, overdubs the voice. Oh, so no. the main what? character's voice is voiced by a white man. Oh, that's oh my gosh. But otherwise, the film is really good. <laughs> it's surreal, wild. and it's hard that's to explain wild. how surreal it is. It's comical, yeah. It's but it's without being too overt about it, they, they sort of... It, it challenges. It yeah, challenges capitalism. Right. I mean, yeah. I love it. So as a film, that's a that's a film where I think yeah, that's an issue. Definitely. That, um, yeah. Um, so there was another film you had mentioned, Bobak. It's a French film. I th it's not a French it's, film. It's actually it's, the, it's the director is is Finnish. Uh, wow. Uh, Aki Karismaki. Okay. Uh, and it's Le Havre, and so the immigrant um, story I think is interesting here. But it's so it's a Finnish director, but it's set in France. Okay. Uh, in the the harbor town of Le Havre, and um, what um, there's a lot I I love about this film, but I think uh, it gives you a, a good sense. And it was uh, released, I think, in 2011, um, and it gives you a good glimpse of the the migrant mm -hmm. um, phenomenon. What migrant? In, in, what kind of in, migrant? Like what's so. The the story itself, uh, the the main character is the is a boot black. You know, he's he's in his early sixties. He uh, lived and worked as an artist. Uh, he says a bohemian in Paris. Uh, what's in his a boot youth. black? Uh, a shoe shine guy. Okay. Yeah, I didn't understand. That. <laughs> Sorry. <Yeah. laughs> that, that's either in a very archaic term right. or a very new term. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna start using words like Fortnite now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Oh. Sorry. He's a shoe shine guy. Yeah. Um, and he he grew up in uh, well. He, his youth was in Paris, but now he's in Le Havre in a small neighborhood and barely eking by a living by shining shoes. And early in the film, we get these close-ups of people's feet and everyone's wearing sneakers. So he doesn't, he can't really make <laughs> much money anyway. Um, and, and his closest colleague is a Vietnamese uh, immigrant. But the, the real storyline focuses on when uh, this group of refugees from uh, Gabon on the west coast of Africa near Congo. They arrive in a um, shipping, uh, one of those big shipping, shipping containers. containers? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so there's maybe uh, a dozen or 20 of these migrants in there, and this boy of about 12 years old makes his escape. He runs off. In the meantime, we learn that uh, this main character, whose name, name, by the way, this is me, his name is Marcel Marx. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, interesting. And, and this boy, Idrissa, he, he runs off, and their paths cross. And when um, Marcel's wife, uh, Arletti, falls ill, she goes to the hospital, and Idrissa kind of moves into hmm. uh, um, Marcel's life. And... and Marcel becomes increasingly interested in in this kid's uh, um, well-being. Mm -hmm. Interspersed through this, there, there's you, we get this shot of um, a newspaper cover, and and the, you know it's translated as um, the way the refugees are represented is um, refugees found um, young man uh, on the run potentially dangerous, might have Al-Qaeda connections. <laughs> oh so it raises this kind of anxiety, this Islamophobia. Um, and then you get another sh scene in, in a bar scene, basically, and the TV's on, and uh, the coverage is of the what's called the jungle in Calais. Calais mm -hmm. yeah. So it was this refugee uh, camp, basically, yeah. that the French government bulldozed. Uh, that year. Mm -hmm. So you see those images going on mm -hmm. and Marcel's concern. And I think wh what this underscored for me is in 
particularly, I think, in French culture, at least since 68, right, this sense of um, uh, the workers being important, that sort of uh, the socialist side, mm-hmm. which now I mm-hmm. think, given French politics now, has, it's almost all but forgotten. Yeah. But yet on the ground level, there's, there's this sense of seeing the worker uh, as having value and, and having dignity and being almost romanticized. But what's interesting is the white French workers mm-hmm. are also migrants. Many of them are from Brittany or Alsace, and they've moved in mm-hmm. to this neighborhood in Le Havre. And, and they have this community, but, but this young black Muslim mm-hmm. yeah. is seen as a threat. What happens through the course of the film is the, the, the community is emphasized. Even though Marcel is the one connected with the kid, it's the the greengrocer, the baker, mm-hmm. uh, the other workers in the in they get together, they put on this concert and and the the main singer, you have to see this film just for this singer mm-hmm. who is just such a hilarious, amazing <laughs> guy. Um, but it's it's a great film about those kinds of contradictions. Yeah. Yeah, work does yeah. that. I mean, that's that's that, yeah. That was in, in in do the. It reminds me of do the right thing uh, with, yeah. the, with, the, with the Korean grocer. I was thinking of this. And I remember the scene yeah. when they're like, the, you know, and and it seems absurd that they're charging this guy. They're they're, they're rushing his store, and he's standing outside with a broom, and he's yeah. trying to fight off the crowd. Right. And he said, "I'm black like you. Oh, yeah. I'm black right, like right, you. Right, right. Like the and 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 of course, you know, there's a there's but but it hits it hits them that yeah. you know yeah. he's also an part of the sort of underclass yes so to speak right. so uh, which, which was i think that was a good moment in the film yeah um, i agree yeah. it does it does have some uh, yeah. some resonance um so <laughs> there's I, I was as we're getting closer to winding down there is probably so many other films that, that absolutely yeah that we could have talked about some of them you know again without going into things like on the waterfront oh and these, are, these are such stylized oh, yeah, versions right, of, of right. things i mean you know, shoe shot like the boot black thing, right? Yes, right, right. It reminded me of a film that blends the film blends something you were talking about, sex work, which was yeah. which was um, um, Midnight Cowboy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Except yeah. it's a male protagonist, but you know, uh, but Ratso right. Rizzo, Ratso one of the things Rizzo, he's yeah, he's yeah. his father was a shoe shine guy, and he oh, told a little story right. about how his father, his hands were permanently black from the right, shoe shine right. um, polish, and yeah, and he's trying to polish a guy's shoe, and you know, so yeah, um, yeah. that's yeah. it's funny because in the hierarchy of jobs. The shoe shine person is like almost the bottom rung oh, that's, in that films. That reminds right? me of something Marcel says in this film. He yeah. says something like he's teaching Idrissa how to use the the shoe shine yeah. gear, and and he says, you know, uh, it's not the best job, uh, but um, other than the shepherd, it's the closest thing to the people, hmm. and it it really mm-hmm. conveys the <laughs> lesson of the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> well, <laughs> just you what, know, the the meek shall inherit the earth. Was <laughs> was and I I might be mis misremembering this, but Trading Places. Remember that movie with Eddie Murphy? Yes. And he was a homeless guy in the beginning of yeah. the film. He's, was he shining their shoes? I feel like. Do you know the story? Trading, oh, Trading Places. Trading Places. I know it, but I haven't Prince seen it. Prince of Popper, yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah, but except it's it's two white, rich old white guys in the stock exchange who make a bet with each other that they could turn, they could make anybody become oh, like a, a successful businessman or something. Right. And so they they picked like what they thought was like the lowest person. It was like a homeless guy on the street. Right. Yeah, yeah. And of course, as you get, you know, he does well, blah, blah, blah. But they what they do is they boot. Someone off the stock exchange. It was Dan Aykroyd, oh, okay. and uh, oh, and he becomes he suddenly home, he has no money. He's got no <laughs> no money anything. He's just right, and he's right. and who does he and who does he connect with? A prostitute. Uh, Jamie Lee yeah. Curtis is the one that oh, that okay. gets him out of that. Oh, and the, so <laughs> capitalism does a lot of bad things to right. workers. And in the <laughs> trading places, besides being offensive in a lot of different ways, um, yeah. it, it is. Uh, yeah. it, it's huh. one of those because one of the questions I had is. When are boss? Are there good bosses in films? Like, I mean, and I'm not saying that. Huh. I'm not saying that all bosses are portrayed badly in films. I'm just wondering because, if so, would it be believable? I mean, I can't think. Right, I was trying right. to think of a film where, like, the boss was kind huh. or someone. What about um, Annie? Daddy Warbucks. At the, at the <laughs> end, the boss. Daddy Warbucks. Up, no, Annie. Annie. <laughs> yeah, though uh, no, not Little Orphan Annie. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Daddy Warbucks is. Oh, Daddy Warbucks. Daddy Warbucks is the guy. Annie, Annie Hall. No, and Daddy, Daddy Warbucks. That movie. Yeah. That movie bothers me. 
Because Daddy Warbucks is he's given such a nice treatment in the world. He's you know, like right, you feel right. bad for it. But like I don't feel bad for a guy who has servants. Oh, I don't point. care how his good emotional point. state is. I just good don't point. feel bad for I think him. That, but I think that that's the... So, yeah, is it boss or just, like, rich person who... That's right. kind of a trope, the, right. like, the sad... Right, why do they have person, to be... Why right? do I have to feel bad for them? Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, I don't want... And that's, that, to me, is another example of how films persuade a certain hegemony dynamic. That's in this right, case, that, like... Right. Well, right. you know, they're, they're just like us, only they just happen to have, you know, everything in the world, it which makes them it, not like they, us. It naturalizes, <laughs> right? It's yeah. as these yeah. things are naturally occurring. It's yeah. not right. as a result of power, but people just exist this right. way. Right? And, yeah. oh, it's so... Yeah, it's so often the, like, head servant who's the worst. Yeah. Oh, you know, in these right. like kinds of movies where it's like <laughs> the person who actually owns the house or runs everything, like who yeah. is who the wealthy the person, no is like they're nice and fine. They're just never there. But it's like the villain is like the head servant right. or something. Yeah. The, the butler, the but Sven the, the butler did it. <laughs> the, and why does the butler do it? And the butler is probably the only person who who's legitimately entitled to do it. Like he's the one <laughs> that if anybody's going to do that, he should be the one. And that's a message to uh, the the White House right now in the cabinet. If anybody's yes. you have the, yeah, that's yeah, your right. job. Yeah, yeah, You're yeah, the butler exactly. of the White House, so you should be taking care of business. Um, oh, um, well, we have a, we have a couple more minutes. Um, we we skipped over a lot of different types of films. We skipped over. I'm sure uh, we have. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. we've skipped over so many, and you know, there there are like movies that are like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, oh right, the Death right. of a Salesman, or these yeah. these yes. kind of films that are yeah. gut wrenching and and challenging, yeah. but but yeah. but white H they're the, white they're white men films, Hudsucker, Hudsucker Proxy, Proxy. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah, white yeah. men films. Yeah. I mean, that's that's oh, that's a good point. Yeah, they are. I mean, they were yeah. always well, you know, let, we didn't even get into when we were talking about the 1930s and the 1940s. Um, People of color did not get roles oh, as sure. CEOs or or yeah. even professionals. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Never mind corporate executives, yeah. but just even like yeah. doctors right. or you know that was. I mean, a school teacher, Blackboard Jungle with oh, Sidney Poitier. Right, right, he's right. That, he's yeah. a school teacher, yeah. and that's like, oh, he's a school teacher. That's right. like a they've managed to like you know, wow, I hear freedom ringing because right. there's a school teacher right. who's black right. in a film. Like, right. um, so yeah. we yeah. didn't talk about that. Yeah. Um, Certainly, there's a lot of other things. Well, the, you know, the help, I think. The we, help? We, yeah. yeah. We, uh, I'm sure, you know, there's a lot to be said. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, and that's, again, we've talked about this before a little bit, is like what even seems like it's work. Like, what do we think oh, of as work? Right. Like, we talked about it in the beginning a bit, what's labor versus what's just sort of work as it appears in our everyday oh, right. lives. Yeah. But the, like, home health yeah. Aid yeah, yeah, type work. <laughs> yeah. Not, a, not um, a lot of films about the, yeah. that. Yeah, not yeah, not yeah. a lot. Even if it's there, not a lot that frame that as work. I mean, right. the help does. I think. Right. Yeah. Well, I think that's just true in general. Now we don't have films about work. I mean, look, we don't have films about work. We own TV shows about work. They might be about jobs, but they're not like jobs that people yeah. have. They're like some weird. You know, they're like lucky jobs. Or yeah. Right. One of the ways I thought um, that films deal with work is in the science fiction genre through through robots yeah that so yeah. what do robots do if robots could um you know emote mm. and and, right. and have a conscience then should we use them in the way we use them which then right. raises the question <laughs> why do we use humans the way we use them you right. know so i uh, um yeah i recently watched um uh, Westworld, the not the 1960s Yul Brynner oh, version, but the, the new series. Yeah, um, I was kind of disappointed by the end of it, but but the first half, you know, raised some of these questions, but all too obliquely. And mm -hmm. again, it turned into sort of, you know, yeah. the, the, you know, the individual. <coughs> I guess. Yeah. I prefer my robots to be like Hal in 2001: A Space Odyssey. I just want them to be like. They're just transparently evil at the end. Yeah, like they will. Like if you do it, if you don't do what I say, I'll make the air stop. You know, like, you will stop breathing. Right. I'll do. That, I'm okay. I can manage that robot. What I can't manage is the android replicant. I can't manage, you know, um, yeah, yeah. Um, Blade, Runner's Blade Runner's replicants yeah. because yeah, yeah, yeah. because I, I just can't. <laughs> so yeah, so we missed the science fiction genre. Yeah, we didn't talk so about. that's a whole other. Yeah, yeah so, another well, episode. Well, let's, right. well, let's well let's <laughs> talk. Right. Let's preview the next. So I think we're gonna we're gonna look at music. Mm -hmm. in our next episode. I mean, we could go on. That's a harder one because yeah. that could... 
we might have to split that into two shows or three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) And then we'll wind up with television. And I don't know if we'll include streaming services on that, but (laughs) Twitter. That'll be our next work in Twitter. All right. Well, I think think that about wraps it up for us. Um, I'm Alfred. I'm Bobak. I'm Abby. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. <laughs>